Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Till 17. This is what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God is given to you to help you be better, to give you a system of teaching to adopt, to correct you when you are wrong, to instruct you in the right way to go. So that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly what? Furnished unto all good works. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Many of you have been exposed or come into the idea of relationships. And all you've known from the start has never been based on the word of God. For many of you, it was hearsay. For many of you, it was what your parents told you. But, and some of you, it's just media, things you were exposed to, things you saw. But what the Word of God assures you is that, look, it's here to correct you. And if you are humble enough, all the misconceptions that you've had from time immemorial, the Word of God wants to help you drop them. So again, I want to invite you to accept the wisdom of the Word of God. Amen. Going to go through scriptures, but it's also going to be very practical, and everything I will say will be based on the scriptures. The question is, where and how do you want to build your convictions on the word of God from what people are saying? Praise the name of Jesus. The title of this teaching is Settling Your Marital Destiny. Even as I said it, it didn't, it didn't sound right. Unlocking, uh-huh. unlocking your marital destiny. I'm joking, no, I'm joking. If I'm going to title this session anything, I'll call it Dating Toolkit. Dating Toolkit. Um, there's so much I can tell you, we cannot cover everything that we have to in this conference, but we will try, right? And for some of you who have already started with us in the teaching series at Vivify Ministries, I'm sure you've learned a thing or two, right? Things that would empower you, and that's a very good foundation. So we'll go a bit further. And I want to just give you a warning ahead of time. Things might get a bit uncomfortable. I'm just warning you ahead. Something I'm going to teach you that is a bit uncomfortable, but you need to hear it. So in this toolkit, there are two tools I want to help you with. Two tools. The first one is conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. Just a show of hands. Oh, should I ask this question? Who here likes eating Pringles? I'm using coded words now. Who here likes eating Pringles? Do you know what that means? <laughs> Do you know what that means? You don't know what that means? I don't know if you like double chocolates. Okay, it's like, it's like if people are not vibing. Okay, 
How many of you are single? That's what you want to hear. You want me to explain? How many of you are single? You don't sound, you don't seem comfortable. Hey, Yanu? Please bring my phone. I need to text somebody. <laughs> How many of you are double? All right. All right. Eh? Come on. God's on my heart. <laughs> so, I can assume that the majority of us like Pringles, right? Very good. So, Look, everything that will be taught applies to both. But for the sake of the majority of us, I would like to emphasize on things regarding dating and entering a dating relationship. And if there's anything you don't think that applies to you, at least you can help someone that it will apply to, right? Nothing is wasted. So let's talk about conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. I'll tell you what the second thing is. Do you agree that most times... The people that hurt you the most are those closest to you. Someone said something. He said, you are more likely to step on someone's toes when you are close to them. Literally. Right? So how do you think you're doing right now in terms of conflict resolution? Are you doing a good job? Maybe. Yes, sir? Okay. We'll find out. I think on a foundational level, when you want to resolve conflict, one major place that you need to understand is the beautiful difference between men and women. And we're going to go through a couple of things. I want to hear from you. I'll also tell you what I think. But I think when you understand that this is how men behave, this is how women behave and interact and process things, it helps you a little bit. How many of you believe that we can fully understand women in this life? Raise up your hand. You do? Do you understand yourself? Okay, just checking, just checking. Great, great. Oh, fantastic. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> you didn't raise up your hand. <laughs> Let's start here. I'll call out some categories of things and you tell me how men and women are different in those regards. Number one, handling issues. So just handling issues in general, right? I'll just give you this as an example. Men are more likely to compartmentalize things. So there's an issue here, I put it in this box. There's another issue here, this is the box. Don't let us not mix these boxes. Let them stay in their place. For women, sometimes it seems like it is all encompassing. This box links to the next, aggravates to the next box, the box becomes bigger, Amazon brings their own delivery box, you put your box, it's just more encompassing, more integrated. Is that, does that add up in some way? So one person agrees with me. You agree? Do we agree? Okay. Now if I say, in terms of what these two categories of people are moved by, what would you say men, when it comes to attraction, are moved by? <laughs> what they see? Sight, right? At first. <laughs> Very good disclaimer. What about ladies? 
Sight too, at first. But what else? I like that. Sight and sound. Okay. Okay. When you talk about primary connection, right? Primary connection. Are men more physical or emotional? In terms of connecting. <laughs> she said for born again people, they are more emotional. Some people will argue that for men it's physical, for women it's emotional. Sometimes I believe it's a mix of both. On both sides, honestly. In terms of processing information, what would you say about guys? They are logical. What else? They are analytical. They are more rational. Two plus two should be equal to four. Right? Don't tell me that hormones are making two plus four equals six. For guys, it's two plus two is what? Four. What about ladies? More comprehensive. All right, all right. External factors. I believe women are very intuitive. See behind the surface. What do you say? Some things can affect logic. Okay. The logic is driven. They are recording you. They will soon cancel you. <laughs> That's how this, gen this generation is so sensitive. My goodness. Personally, I think women are intuitive, integrative, holistic. I feel like it, before you process one thing, it's not just two plus two. Let's see, does the Y, the X, does, you understand? Everything must shall add up before that. I, I believe that. I feel men, and, and this is, a, even personally, I've seen that in myself, that even though the problem right now is not that thing, to, I, I, I can say this very clearly, that sometimes, I know what the problem is, but right now it's just not adding up. It's, it's more emotional than logical. And sometimes I've learned to just say, you know what? Two plus two is not four for now. Let's sort this out, then we can agree later on two plus two is equal four. You, you understand what I'm saying? What about taking care? In taking care, men are more, I feel, protective, sometimes even more providential. But I don't want to say more, but there's just that notion that men provide and protect, right? What about ladies? Nurturing, right? Just taking care, being a mother, being involved, being particular. And then what about want, what, you, what men want in a relationship? What do you think men want in a relationship primarily? You can never, <laughs> you can never know. Men, tell us, talk to us, please. Is it, of course, everything we are saying is different for everyone. Companionship, okay. What else? You now he's saying something. As you progress, you also want respect, okay, okay. You want to help us? What do men want? Jerry. What do we, what do men want in a relationship? Intimacy. Pe 
Okay. If I would speak for the men, I'll just say, in addition, oh, you want to say something, please? Go ahead. Support. Interesting. So that's, those are keywords that I'm picking up. I see support. I'm seeing respect or honor. I'm seeing, someone said intimacy, yes. I'm seeing, I think men like women that are hardworking industry, right? And they can support you like, like practically. What about sexual intimacy? Do men want that? <laughs> you think you can deceive me? You think you can deceive me? To be honest, I think men want good sex, a good sexual life. And that's okay, right? Sometimes, at one point, adapt, yes, of course, of course, of course. And so men want a secure ego, right? They want that their ego is protected. They don't want to be demasculated or emasculated, right? Woman, what do you want in a relationship? Peace of mind, support. Love. No wahala. Assurance, okay. What else? Sorry? Faithfulness, respect. Chef, can I help you with that? Presence, that's like attention. Availability, affection. Intelligence conversations. Very good. Sexual compatibility? Yes. Is it important? You know, funny enough, this has been a great divide. A lot of men. A lot of people have just said that men want sex, women want feelings and emotions and cuddles. I don't believe so. When you think about it, on, on, when you dig deeper, men kind of want the same things that women do. Sometimes the priority list just switches sometimes, right? But I believe so. So what is going to help you in resolving conflicts when they rise is first of all understanding, especially for the guys that look, sometimes women just want their feelings to be acknowledged. Don't shut them down. That's how they are feeling in the moment. Acknowledge it, understand it, build from it. And sometimes the guys just want you to know that, look, I'm just thinking logically, like my heart is not just feelings right now. I just want to attack this right now head on. And I need some support from you. I don't want you to tell me that I shouldn't, you don't understand what I'm saying. So this will really help. But I'm gonna give you some practical tools, about eight of them on how to resolve conflict. And, and this could work in your friendships as well. I'm going to give that to you. But the first thing I would say before I go into that is the base minimum, the foundation of resolving conflict is walking in the spirit. We're going to check Galatians chapter 5. The basis of any conflict resolution will be walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16. And then we'll read 22 to 25. Is it possible to have it? Will, it, will we have it on the screen? No? Okay. So everybody will have to open their Bibles. I hope you brought your Bibles. All right? Okay, great. Oh, your phones, yes. If you have your phones, that's good too. Galatians 5.16. Who's going to read for us? Galatians 5.16. Yes, go ahead. Doc, you read verse 22. Okay. Fantastic. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life 
or in other words, walk by the Spirit, and what will happen? You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now verse 22. I want all of us to read 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Think about it. If these fruits are finding expression every time in your relationships, would that be a good one or not? That your partner is kind and gentle and good to you and self-control. They want to say those bad words, but somehow they just restrict those words. That they are down and they are able to encourage you with much, with much joy. There's peace. Many of, two of you said peace of mind. Would you love to be in a situation where you're just at peace? You can sleep easy knowing that this person just wants peace. And then verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Are you with me? They've what? Can I hear you? They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The new life in Christ is one where you are not giving your, your flesh any chance to take the driver's seat. You're like, this is what is expected. This is what people would expect me to react and how to react. But I'm not going to choose that way. I'm going to walk by the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Praise the name of Jesus. This is the very foundation of conflict resolution. But now let me give you those eight tips. Number one, I'm telling you, if you ever are in a conflict and you remember these things and you actually practice it, if, if I'm wrong, come and tell me. 100% of the time it works. 99.9, .9. let me do uh, hand sanitizer. 99.9%. Number one, reflective listening. Reflective listening. We're going to do an example right now. The point of reflect, reflective listening, which I feel is the foundation of every effective communication, is not just listening to the person. It's trying to understand before being understood. That's what it's about. Understanding what the person is saying and repeating it to them to be sure that you dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I feel this is the best kind of listening you can do. So I'm going to try something out. I need two volunteers. I need a girl. I need a guy. <laughs> okay, she raised up her hand first. So I have a quick... For the guys, who's going to, who's going to do something? Come on, guys. Come on. David? Okay, great. All right, so let me have you first. Uh-uh. Uncle. <laughs> hey. Okay. This is good. All right, so I'll call you, I'll call you now. Let me, let me have you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to practice it. Can we get a mic for her? Would it work? Okay, is it working? Testing one, two, two, two. Test one, two, two. Is it on? Let me just check. 
Testing. Okay, I don't think this is working. Praise God. Alright. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to be the guy. Okay. I'm going to rant to you. What you're going to do is listen to everything I've said, okay. reflect it back, okay. and then you end it by saying, did I get it correct? Okay. Or did I understand you well? Are you ready? Okay. <coughs> Babe. You know you are... You, I, I use... Well, it's not an example. Don't be shocked. Uh, it's been a while someone said that to you. Or no, I'm trying to like... Okay. Alright, let's do it. Babe, you really upset me. You really upset me. I was watching my match and you were just blasting around, you know, calling that your friend, laughing. You know how important Liverpool is, is, is to me? Sometimes it reminds me that I'm never alone, because even with you, I don't know, it's, it's like I feel alone right there. Anyways, I, I, I just don't like it. And, and then you started talking about that your ex, and how your ex, you saw him on Instagram, he's buff. So, so what? What are you saying about me? I, I don't I, I didn't like it no, honestly like you you're upset my ego can you tell me I'm not buff I eat buffalo wings <laughs> I, I do my due diligence what are you saying so I, I, honestly you offended me and it's a joking outside me I, I feel really hurt by that honestly okay so if I got you correctly are you saying that I you didn't like that I was talking about my ex on the call with my friend. Mm. It's like, hurts your ego. Is that what you're angry about? Or you're angry about the match? <laughs> if I, you're not even ready to listen, please. 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 You're, not even, you're not even ready to listen to me. All right, thank you. Can you tell me what she could have done better? So the reason I put this as the first thing is because many times it helps you to apologize well when you understand what you've done, right? You don't want to just apologize blind. No, go, 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 go. Don't be shy. Yes, what could she have done better? <laughs> Anybody can answer. The tone, right? The tone was a bit off. And clearly I had said it was the two things. So she was trying to pick either or which one is the cocoa. Yeah. And you, you should not diminish, diminish, diminish people's problems. Right? Okay. She has a question. Okay. Let me first ask a question before I ask the real question. Were you complaining as a guy or as a woman? As a guy. As a guy, okay. So you said guys are more logical and they are straightforward. But this complaint look like it was mixed. You know, like Yes. What so was doing you is not the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to know, like should she not deal with the issue? Like, is it the fact so, that this is the point of reflective listening. Reflective listening is not first to solve problems. You're not listening to solve the issue. You are listening to understand that that's the issue the person is saying, first of all, before anything else. So this is the very first stage. 
Okay. Okay, your main question now. No, 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 because it does not look like there are two problems. It looks like there's one problem, but maybe the remaining seven. Could it address. be possible it's both? That this person has continued uh, interrupting their best football matches. Yeah, and then they don't possible. like and then she's been talking about her ex subsequently. It's possible. Huh? But like she he mixed the situation into one. And uh, pouring it out. <laughs> Okay, that, that's my question. I just wanted to understand. All right. Like, okay, just one or two things. All right, thank you. Okay, one, one last comment. Okay, so I just don't want to respond to what Anessa said. Okay, so I feel, I believe that these are two people in a relationship. And I don't know how long they've been in a relationship, but they've grown to a state whereas they are vulnerable to each other. So once in a while, even regardless of their mind, it can be logical, but once in a while, these emotions to get in their way, they just want you to also, they just want to, they feel like, yeah, my friend, yeah, my babe, me too, okay. Once they, they just feel the need to share some emotional things that hurt them too, because they feel like you guys are past the stage of once, I don't know, they, but there's any trust, there's right. love, there's vulnerability, there's friendship. Marriage counselor. <laughs> no, but you have a very good point. But I think you are, we, are over, we are over stressing this thing. It's very simple. She should have just asked without diminishing any of the problems, right? Let's do this. Thank you very much. Please put your hands together for her. All right. Yes. No, I'm the baby. <coughs> Let's do this. Honestly, seriously, babe, I, I, I just, <laughs> seriously, I, I, I can't take this anymore. Like, like, you saw that I was stressed. I had just come out. Oh my God, why am I doing this so well? I, I just come out of all that I've done and I was stressed out of my mind. And you're telling me I should, have I applied for the job? Is that what I want to hear? I should apply for a job. So, so what? I, I'm, 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 I'm dragging you. I'm, I'm sucking. I'm a leech. I'm eating from your pockets. I should apply for a job. Apply. Is that what? Honestly. And, and then you said I, I've been eating, 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 and, and, and look at me. The Lord is enlarging my coast. What is that supposed to mean? I've added weight. What? Seriously, babe. I, I just, please. I just, I just need my space right now. All right. Um, okay. So I just want to just be clear that I heard you all. Um, so you had a, a big issue with how I wasn't considerate of how you were feeling and I'd been complaining about how you had been eating without like paying respect to how you feel in the moment. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? That's all I wanted you to Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. It wasn't my intention. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. Just put your hands together for him. <laughs> That was so weird. I hope you're not scared, babe. <laughs> you have a question. I want to ask after, after this, I'll, I'll get your question. Did he get the assignment well? Reflective listening. Did he reflect the listening properly? He didn't reflect anything. Everything. What did he miss? Which other part? He spoke about the weight parts, but he didn't use the large micro. 
Okay. <laughs> what else? Did he, did he do it well? He got the assignment. <laughs> Some of you, if you had lecturers in university, even with weekend, if you those people, A is for my grandpa, B is for my grandma, C is for you. All right, so he, he, he did something in terms of reflecting. Great. You have a question, Amara. I'll try to be as quick as possible. All right, so basically in real life, right? Yeah. When, <laughs> when you are upset yeah. and you are talking, and somebody say, if I get it correctly, is this what you are saying? I don't know, but I feel like I, I feel like you're going to pause and be like, so you're not hearing me. <laughs> so like I'll try to be I, like I personally think it's the tone with which you use. Like okay. even if you apologize and you say sorry and you say What are oh, you are sorry, sorry now, sorry. <laughs> is there from I'm so sorry. Yay. Tone is everything. Like yeah. tone is part of the apology. So if you're saying, okay, can I can I just be sure that I got you correctly? You, you mean that I did this and I did that, right? I just want to be sure. Your tone will say everything. Versus, okay, so you are saying that I, you understand? The tone would, would make the difference. All right, thanks for that question. So that's number one, right? Reflective listening. Number two, say sorry and mean it. Say sorry and mean it. And this is you, this is assuming that you've understood what the problem is from what they've shared. Say sorry, I mean it. Just start there. Sorry, that word, many of us cannot say. It's a pride issue. Like, it's such a simple word, but I know in the moment, things are tense, things are difficult, but say sorry and actually mean it. Does someone try and tell me sorry and, and in a way that you don't mean it and in a way that you mean it? No, there's a thing that, that got me in trouble in secondary school. Sorry, you. <laughs> I did that thing and somehow ended up saying it to one of my teachers and got a very beautiful collision of hand and face. A slap. Just said she was saying, move your chair. Kenneth, move your chair there. I said, oh, sorry, you. Hey! Why? I still remember it to this day. But say sorry and mean it now. With some tears in your eyes, say it. <laughs> but you can tell the difference when you actually say something that I means, right? Number three, understand what an apology looks like for the person. For some people, words will do the trick, right? I believe that when, as much as love languages, love has languages, right? I believe apologies do as well. So you say, I'm sorry, and it has finished, and ah, you will not, no peace offering. No Chanel bag, no Gucci shoes. What kind of sorry is that? Some people are like that. But some people, they want you to just go the extra mile and show it in your actions that you're truly sorry by not repeating that thing or at least trying not to. Do you understand? So understand what an apology looks like for that person and then do it. And then, which is number four, translate the apology into actions. Translate the apology into actions. What they would like to see as an apology Number five, remember that it's both of you against the world. I'll explain what I mean. Understand that it's both of you against the world. 
or a more, in a more specific way, both of you against the problem. Many times, couples make the mistake of putting the problem in between them. That until we resolve this issue, we cannot be together. It's a chasm between us. Until we bridge this gap, we cannot climb. Meanwhile, the way you should face it is hand with each other. This is the problem. Let's attack it. But we are holding hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? And sometimes when I try to resolve, me and my wife, I can boldly say we've never fought before. Look at your faces. If you would disbelieve. Oh, freakless generation. How, shall, how, shall I, how long shall I tarry with you? No, we've never fought. Have we disagreed on things? Yes. Do we not see eye to eye on certain issues? Yes. But by fighting, what's the definition of fighting, by the way? Is <laughs> a chop blue. <laughs> we don't fight. We don't get physical. We don't raise our voices ever. And one thing that has helped us is this. When we have an issue, even when we're upset about how we feel, this is how we are. And we talk about it. This alone lets her know that it's us against the world, us against this problem. I, I get what I'm saying. It's very important. Number six, don't air your dirty laundry unless to the light. Don't air your dirty laundry unless it's to the light. And by light, I mean to the word of God or someone who you trust, who can give godly counsel. So don't go around telling everybody what's happening, this is the issue, this is what, how bad this person is. Don't use it as a gisting, gossiping topic, don't. Keep it private and talk to someone who you know can help. Number seven, please and please, give allowance for faults. Give allowance for faults and stop being petty. Give allowance for faults and stop being petty. How many of you, you know that there was something that happened? It was so small, so insignificant, but you, exp you know you exploded it. You know, you. Let me see. You could have let it go, you know. But you said this one, no. This one, you understand what I'm trying to say. We're in family situations, I think it happens everywhere where something so light you know you could have just given allowance and look just go but you say you said no this one i will not let you go come here we're going to fight no give allowance for fault like there's some things you just it should not even be an issue like and sometimes people do it again and again there's sometimes you just say you know this person is not ready to change and and give allowance for the fact that people are not ready to change do you understand what i'm saying and of course, that's not the kind of person you've been in a relationship with. Please, you must be with someone that is teachable. Just knowing that will set you free. Someone who can be taught. Someone you can bring and say, this is what this person is saying. And they will actually listen. Praise the Lord. Number eight. And this one might be a bit difficult. Apologizing and making peace, even when it's not your fault. <laughs> you know, Jesus was on the mount speaking and sharing the Beatitudes. He said something. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are what? Who knows the completion of it? But they are what? They are the sons of God. It means you are more 
You look more like a son of God when you are at peace with people, when you are making peace. Another scripture says, follow peace with all men. Right? Romans 12 says, as much as it's within you, make peace with all people. How many of you have ever, you know clearly, is the other person's fault? But you carried your big shoulders like this. You brought it down. You went to them and said, okay, you know what, I'm sorry. How many of you? And what happened after that? The person was still mental. <laughs> it happened. Sometimes people will not be entitled to it as you should. You should. You should have apologized. But no, don't air your dirty laundry. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is this. When it comes to unconditional love, truly, you must reflect it even in your relationships. And look, it's not that you deserve this apology, but I want to make peace. I don't want to fight. I want this conflict to be resolved, so I'll be the better person, or let me say, I want to look more like a son of God in this situation and apologize. How many of you think you can do this? Honestly. It will help you. To help you a lot. There are times she has done it for me, there are times I've done it for her, and it always works. You're not once they say sorry, your shoulder will shall come down small if you are reasonable to come down. Then you can have a talk. Later on, she can now tell you, but you know it was actually, you understand? But in that moment, resolve it, make peace. Amen. Now to the uncomfortable part. Yes, please. Yes. That's a very good question. So just to recall what she said, how do you apologize in that way where you're not at fault and not come off as self-righteous? You know, some people will say, you know what, I'll be the better. Some people will type it. In fact, in this situation, I'll be the better person. I'll show you that I'm a child of God. We are sorry. Very red flag. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think it's a, it's a question of priority. Is your priority to make peace in that moment or to let it simmer and stretch out for a longer time till the person is ready to come back? However you want to approach it, it's fine. But in my case, when you leave things for too long and expect that people's mindset just come to realize that, look, I'm the one at fault, sometimes it gets worse along the way. I think your approach should be, okay, you know what? I may not understand everything you've said, you might not understand me, but for, this, for the sake of our friendship, I, I want to be at peace. I want to talk to you. I want to be in your space. And any way that I've wronged you, I want to learn better. And I also appreciate that you do the same for me. And anything that, I, that you've done wrong, you're able to hear me out. And, and do you understand? And if the person doesn't agree, just know you have an unreasonable friend or unreasonable partner. Just know it's free of charge. But I'm telling you that the, your approach will always come off as whether you're self-righteous. And, and it happens to everyone. 
Sometimes you really just want to make peace, but to come off as self-righteous. So just make those reassurances that look at this is not why you're doing it. I just don't want to be at peace with someone I love. Third, I don't want to be in conflict with someone I love. All right? I think it helps. Okay. Okay, just just shout it out. Yeah. So kind of okay. So you are you are always the one apologizing and you know yeah yeah I'll just say yeah. that tested one two just to record what they're saying basically is can you apologize too much such that you're pampering the other person and they're just like oh well, even if I do something wrong the person will still apologize. To be honest with you, I know that we always want to have our way in relationships, but when you think about Jesus as our example of love, he was taken advantage of. His love was taken advantage of many times. This was someone who literally fed 5,000 people. They're the same people that were saying crucify him. They heard him say forgive them for they didn't know what they did. They were still confident in the fact that this guy was apologizing to people who didn't deserve the apology. Oh, not apology, but like the request to forgive. Do you understand? The forgiveness he was giving them. So sometimes it'll be like that, and that's why the other things we'll talk about today will just help you not be with those kinds of people who are unreasonable, who are not willing to be teachable. It's a problem of teachability, where the person is seeing you. It's a call, like if I see that happening, it's, for me it's a call to do better. Why wasn't I the one to rise up and, and apologize first? Why do I always wait? Do you understand? And that's also a conversation to have, that from what I've seen, and I'm not trying to say this to you, but it just seems like I'm being the one pro, more proactive resolving conflicts. I would really appreciate the same from you. I really appreciate that even off the bat you are willing to to just initiate those conversations. Do you understand? If the person is not ready to budge, man, I don't know. I really don't know. At the end of the day, teachability, ah, is everything. That's the reason why a lot of people who are not even believers have made marriage and relationships work. They're willing to learn, willing to be better and it changes the game. Does that help in any way? But see, your love and your forgiveness will be taken advantage of. Expect it. Expect it. But, that should, but people's reactions or actions to you should never change your convictions. That's the problem. If, if it were like that, I would never greet anybody in my life. The amount of gate men and security guards I've greeted, I, will not, I should not be greeting anybody, but I will not allow someone's actions affect what I believe. Do you understand? All right. The second part, the second toolkit, and I hope I can finish this, I doubt. But it's you people and your many questions. Building boundaries. That's the second toolkit. Building boundaries. Can we do something? Can we say something together? Who is the youngest person here, first of all? Let me see. 
Is there anybody who is 16 years old? Okay, congratulations. Okay, so everybody's above 16, above 18. Great. Audience online, above 18? All right, this is fine. Can we all say this word together? Sex. Sex. I just said it says, <laughs> say it with respect, sex. <laughs> Say no sex. no sex. Okay, so we can say that. No sex. No sex. Okay, very good. Quick question. Where did you get your understanding about sex from? <laughs> Let me even ask this question. How many of you ever had the sex talk with your parents? You did? Who else? You? Who else? You? Who else? You? Who else? Who else? You got the sex talk. Your parents, and it might have been awkward, it might have been fun. Hardly is it ever fun. So that's what I want to say. They, they sat you down. They sat you down. And it's in different ways, but this, the message is kind of the same. Some people will say, don't let anybody touch you. They touch you, that's the end. That's the end. You've caught it. Some people will say, if, you know, be careful of the people you are with. They can destroy your destiny. You've heard that one. Those boys, they read this. Those girls, they read this. My son, my daughter. You've heard that one. Sometimes also, okay, my son, this is how you came to be. My daughter. This is... <laughs> Some people will mask it. They'll say, mommy and daddy love each other and God gave them a blessing, right? Some people will say that the angel brought you from heaven to us. But have, that's, not, that's not sex talk, please. They, they told you that this goes here, that the square peg goes into the round hole, and this would lead to this. They said that to you, let me see. Interesting. That's the, honestly, I am happy that that's happening. I can tell you that, see, let me be honest with you. A lot of the problems that we've had is where we got the exposure about sex from. For some people, you got it from what your friends say. That was your first encounter with this concept. Some of you, it was integrated science in school or biology. And God help you, your teacher is not a, a righteous man or woman. Hey, I cannot tell you the things that my science teacher told, told us. I was scarred. I went home like this, very sober. They said, Kenneth, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I'm okay. Ah. Hey, God. And at that stage, you are very curious. You want to know more. You want to search things. And it will get you into trouble. I will say this very boldly. I was so curious one time, you know, ah, God. I think my very, before integrated science, my very first exposure to this concept was just, should I say this? <laughs> I was innocently, there was this phrase that we used to toss around. Guy, you're a beast. Ah, this guy, you're a beast. And I'm like, everybody's saying beast. I'm like, what does this beast mean? I was just innocently checking on Google and mistakenly, R entered the search. <laughs> and it became something else. Some of you know what I'm saying. 
I'm not lying. I am not lying. And for, and for many of us, we got our understanding of sex and relationships from movies, from series, high school films. Book will drop. You touch hands. Oh my God. Where have you been all my life? Next scene, they are pushing table, throwing things, doing fellowship. Uh-huh. I mean, where do we get our understanding and, uh, about sex from? And what I want to do is I want to give you the right education. I did a survey. I'm writing a book. And so I, I did it. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. It should come out next year. Beautiful, beautiful book. And I did a survey just asking a few people. Should you have premarital sex? I asked 10 people. Eight of them said no. You should not have premarital sex. The other two said yes. But depends on who. I asked those eight that said no, you should not have. Why? Seven of them, I'm not joking, seven out of the eight said because that's what we know. Either that's what my pastor said, that's what my mommy said, that's what my daddy said, that's just what they've been telling us. Only one of them gave me a scripture and said the Bible says. And I was very concerned. I was very concerned that a lot of people's beliefs about sex, sexuality, relationship is not even based on the scriptures. It's hearsay. It's what they've told me, what I've heard. And it's a problem, I think. Let me tell you what the culture, pop culture says about sex and, and dating in general. Let me give you one. Let me put it this way. Maybe this is a strong way to put it. I'll say it, it is an abomination not to have had sex. Like in high school or college. That you're not cool if you've not had sex. I don't know if you've heard that before. Like you see, you're a virgin. Oh my goodness. We need to get you laid. You've heard that. But the question I ask to such people that say is who's stronger? Who's stronger, the one who gives in to every single desire, every single trend, or the one who says, I am not going to do that, even though everybody else is doing it? Who's stronger? And that thing people say is, everybody's doing it. Join the world, everybody's, God, well, look at you, everybody's doing this thing. It's not a, well, yeah. But if, if it's by that logic, it means that in a place like Nazi Germany, because everybody was against and killing the Jews, it means it was right. Only a few people during the time of the Holocaust stood against Nazi Germany. So if you're going by majority is always right, then you're wrong. Some people say sex is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not. Just do it. And please, let me just give a disclaimer. Right. The reason why I'm doing and saying everything I'm saying is not to shame you. I'm not assuming that everyone here has not had some experience or the other with this. It's not, it's not to shame you. What I want to do is to give you all the wisdom that you need for now and your future. That's it. The good thing about 
your relationship in Christ and this new life that you have is that what? All things are new and all things have passed away. It's fine. You made a mistake. It's okay. I mean it. And that's, I believe, God's heart about it. He looked at an adulterous woman and said, no, I forgive you. I have no accusation against you. Go and sin no more. That's the heart of God even now. But I'm trying to help us do better. Do you understand? And people say it's fun, it's experimental. Just do it. It's exciting. And yes, it is fun and experimental, but in the right context. Some people say we can't decide who we love in terms of dating. We can't help who we love. You've heard that before, right? And in many ways, there are just some things that you just find attractive about someone. Like, you can't explain it. It's, you just like the person somehow. Can you relate? But the truth about that is that you can actually decide who you attracted to. We did uh, a teaching called Butterflies, which was redefining attraction. You can intentionally decide what is attractive to you. Are you following what I'm saying? There are things that, yes, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, and by, I, to God, I, I, I pray to God that you find someone that suits your physical criteria. And you will if you want to, but it's, it's a question of priority. What really matters more at the end of the day? There's this lie I've heard, and I don't know if it's only me that's heard this. There are some guys who get to a point when they want to pressure a girl into having sex, and they use this line that, if you don't do it, my tummy will keep hurting me, I will not be myself. Nobody's laughing. You've heard it before. Is it, have you heard it before, or is it just me? <laughs> that I will not be myself, I will go crazy, my tummy will hurt me, I will just be sick if it doesn't happen now, now, now. It's a lie. I'm saying it now. I don't want to assume you've never experienced it, but just in case, it's a lie. It's not true. It's not true. Biologically, scientifically, not, it's not true. And some people say this, that sex is a proof of love. Again, it is, but in the right context. You, you can't tell me that for you to prove you love me, you, you must have sex. I believe, in fact, the opposite is, is true, that in waiting, you're proving you respect this person, respect their body, and you're willing to wait to the right time. Some people say, go for the hottest person you can find. Anyone that is hot, go for them. There is. But at the end of the day, like we said, whatever metrics you use in finding a partner, you most likely find that kind of person. So if you want a chef as a partner, look for someone who cooks well. If you want a model, a supermodel or a makeup artist, look for someone that does nice makeup. You will find them. If you want someone who is this and that, you basically the, the metrics you, you create for the kind of person you want, that's most likely what you'll find. But the question is, what kind of metrics are you, find, are you putting in place for the person that you want to be with? Are you looking for a supermodel, a chef, or you're looking for a partner? You're looking for a husband, a wife who can be there, who can be there for you, the, the, the biblical model of a Christian man or a Christian woman. So what I'm going to do now is I want to, when I have these conversations with people about premarital sex, sexual purity, 
Some people are like, every time, Bible, 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 Bible. Why are you always using Bible? So I decided to think of some common sense reasons why you should not even think about it. And I'm going to give you ten. Ten common sense reasons why to wait till marriage. Are you ready for it? Okay, only one person. Thank you, that one person. Are you ready for it? Number one, undue bonding. I'll explain. Don't worry, I'll explain every, every point. Undue bonding. Not bondage. Not bondage, bonding. It's also called soul ties. Some of you have heard that before, right? And some people over-spiritualize soul ties. Some people under-spiritualize it. But soul ties just simply means the, the seat of your soul, your emotions, is tied to someone else. It's talking about emotional, deep emotional attachment, right? And one thing I've realized from people I've, I've spoken with is those who were in a relationship where they were sexually pure, when they ended things, it was much easier to move on than those who had been in that situation. So sometimes if you're with the wrong person, there is this, when you have premarital sex, there is an undue attachment that shouldn't be with that person, especially if it's with the wrong person. All right, so if you're thinking about it and you're, you're sure you know this person, this is not someone you can settle down with, you have no business sleeping with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Number two. In fact, there's something I wanted to read. Let me just read this. This was um, a scientist that wrote this, a biologist. Um, let me just read it to you. It says, more happens during sex than just a momentary experience of pleasure. When we are intimate, chemicals are released in our brains that bond us together. Vasopressin is primarily released in male brains and oxytocin primarily in females. However, when we break the, when we bond, then break, bond and break, we damage our capacity to bond strongly to the next person. It's similar to how sticky a piece of tape is. The first time you apply it to a surface, it bonds strongly. But if you take it off and apply it to another surface, it's less adhesive. That's the picture. So when you talk about soul ties, it's, it's a thing of, can you really be able to fully commit to the next person again? And I gave that illustration that someone gave me some years ago, that it's like being in a wedding ceremony, and, you've, and that's if it's a serial, you know, you've been with more than one person. And you stand on the wedding day and it says, will you take this person as your lawful, lawfully hearted husband or wife? When you actually look behind them, you might see some of your other people that you've been attached to lining up. And it's a figurative sense, but in, in practice, it's just what it is sometimes. All right, number two. A higher risk of STIs. <laughs> Some people say STDs, STIs, same thing, right? Sexually transmitted infections. I find this one to be very interesting because there are certain diseases that cannot be gotten except through sex. I, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's so interesting that the only way to communicate some of these things is just through sexual intercourse. It's very interesting, but you are less likely to contract it when you are not even involved in it or indulged in it. I know that some people will try to rationalize it that, yes, even people have contacted it through needles or other things, I understand. 
but your risk of contracting these things is, is greatly reduced. You know, when you don't do that. I, I was talking to someone recently who, and I'm going to talk about that um, if I can, if I have the chance to, especially people who move abroad and relocate. We should even have a special seminar for you. It's not easy because there's less accountability, especially those who start to live alone. Someone now that all her life, all her life has been that goody two-shoes good girl, got exposed over there, you know, and somehow was not accountable. Now she's battling AIDS. You think that AIDS is not, not a thing anymore. She's battling AIDS. Her immune system is, is terrible. Number three, unwanted pregnancy. Easily, right? You're less likely to have unwanted pregnancy. That's number three. Number four, as a result of this, lower chances of abortion. Right? There was a statistics that was done. I think, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was above 60%. That 60% of women chose to abort their babies because they were not ready. Not because there was any complication or they were raped, but just because they didn't want the child. Just because they didn't want the child. And so, like what we believe here is that abortion is killing, killing a life. It's not just a clump of cells, it's a living child. And again, a disclaimer is not to shame anyone who has gone through this process. I know that it's been hard, it's terrible. God forgives. But if you don't, if you're careful not to engage in this, like, I know people also rationalize and say there's some couples who get married, they have sex, they get pregnant, and they still don't want the child, and they go on to abort it. I've seen that people rationalize that. But ideally, like, you don't, you have more of a reason to abort outside of marriage than in marriage. Right? Logically speaking. So this helps protect that. Number five, and this one is very important. When you engage in sex before marriage, it's indicative many times of a lack of self-control. It's indicative more of lack of self-control. If, if a person is not able to control themselves or delay gratification before marriage, what happens in the marriage? Would they be able to wait with that partner? Would they be able to stay faithful? The odds are lower. Do you understand? If someone is able to wait and, and hold themselves because they know that this is not the right time and they are faithful in doing that, the chances that they will be faithful when you're married is, is just a bit higher. Do you understand that point? Do you understand that point, guys? Number six. You're more likely to avoid sexual abuse or date rape. Or date rape. I, I read an article by um, C.M. Wayman, who is uh, a socialist, and the person said that lifetime prevalence of dates or acquaintance rate ranges from 13 to 27 percent amongst college-age women, and 68 percent amongst adolescents. So a lot of people get into um, some situations, and you know, when they're in a situation where they're willing to have sex and open up that door sometimes when they don't want to and they're forced into doing it because that has already happened so if you just avoid a lot of compromising situations where you can be abused 
and it goes both ways. But of course, more to the lady's side, statistically. Number seven, stigma. There's stigma attached to it. There is a guilt and shame, ideally, attached to it. And if you want to prove me wrong, if you've had sex, just go to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, I have news for you. These are the people I've had sex with. Tunde, Adetunde, Olatunde. And then you just list it out, list it out. Nobody say, oh my daughter, come give me a hug. I'm so proud of you, except you and your mother have issues. But nobody does. And in fact, when you see the movies where someone has a one-night stand, there's a description of the kind of walk they do. What's it called? Walk of shame. That's what, it, that's what it's literally called. Because you just... There's no... Pr- but when you are in your... You are doing the right thing at the right time. Uh-uh. Baby, that was sweet. Ah! Glory to God. You, you must. Praise the Lord. But there's guilt and shame attached to it. And it affects your conscience eventually. Your conscience becomes numb. You get to a point where it's no big deal. I can do whatever I want. Number eight. And that's where it leads to. It numbs you to intimacy. Numbs you to intimacy. You get numb. It, it doesn't feel as it should, doesn't feel as sacred as it should, it doesn't feel as intimate because it's been done multiple times with multiple people, or maybe even just with one person. Sometimes, when not done in the confines of marriage, it it can numb you to the level of intimacy that you should have. Number nine, it exposes you to more potential hurt. And this is a spin-off from the first point, but when you are very attached to someone in this way, it, it exposes you to chances of being hurt even more. And number 10, it leads more to objectification of both sexes. So sometimes people do it and start to objectify the person. They start to want to be with that person just mostly because of their body. They don't want to connect on an emotional level, intellectual level, just physical, just physical. So those are just 10 points, and I'm sure there's more, but just 10 common sense points why you can just afford not to um, engage in it further or at all. Then let me give you some scriptural reasons. I'll just give you three of them. Scriptural reasons why not to have premarital sex. Number one, it is a sin against the body. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 6. How, how am I doing with time? I don't have any time again. Oh my goodness. Ah! Yeah, 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 there's so much to cover. Okay, I'll rush through this. I'll rush through this. First Corinthians 6, verse 12. Are we there? You know what? We're going to go to verse 18 because of time. First Corinthians 6, verse 18. Are you there? Are you learning anything? Yes. Great. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality, sexual immorality is gotten from a Greek word called porneia. And many people believe that's the origin from where pornography came from. So it's, it's inclusive of everything that goes against what God intended for sex. That's what sexual immorality is. All right, it says, but anyone who commits sexual immorality does what? 
sins against his own body. This, he says every other sin is outside, but there's a sin you can actually do against your own body. That's serious. Ha! Verse 19. And he says this like, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own anymore? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I always say this to people that you might think this is a, it's a private thing, it's a secret sin, but there's really no such thing as a secret sin anymore. Every secret sin is done in the presence of a holy God, if you truly are the temple of God. Wow, right? Ah, it's that serious. It's that serious. When they sing that song, I remember that song that was trending during lockdown or after lockdown. God is watching you. He's watching you, really. Not just from outside, from within. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that this is not just a sin against God. It's a sin against you. Number two, it's a sin against God. And I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just go a few verses up from verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It says, Do not be deceived. Why? Because people will try to deceive you and tell you otherwise. And some people have never seen this before in their lives. It says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, not homosexuals. This is New Testament writing. Some people can discard Old Testament and say, no, that was Old Testament. This is Paul writing in the New Testament, not because he's trying to shame anybody, but he's saying now you have the law or the, the things to do, the commandments, and then you also have the ability to do it now. They had the commandments in the Old Testament, but they failed woefully. You have the commandments, but you also have the ability. Someone who has the ability, can you say a loud amen? Amen. But he's still telling you the truth. Make no mistake. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you is the tense for me. That that was your past. He understands that, look, you are living in that lifestyle. Yes, but he says you were washed. Hallelujah. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Yes, the past mistakes have been done. There's a whole beautiful future ahead of you where you can walk in line with what God expects, where you can live righteously, where you can live and walk by the Spirit. Amen. Number three, it goes against God's design for sex. These are biblical scriptural reasons. It goes against God's design for sex. Matthew 19, verse 5. And this is an offshoot from, from Genesis chapter 2, I think from verse 24. Matthew 19, 5. Jesus said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be what? And be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One funny thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the means and method through which a man and a woman are joined is through sexual intercourse. 
And that's why in some cultures and communities, if a man and a woman, even under the law, and many of you might not know it, under the legislation of this country, whether you go to court or you may kiss the bride, if for a couple of months or within a span of time, you don't come together to have sex, it's nullified. I'm correct, right? It's nullified. Because even in God's eyes, that connection is what joins a man and a woman together, where they become one flesh. Are you following what I'm saying? So when you don't do that in that context, you are literally going against God's design. This was it from the beginning. Adam, Eve, coming together, and they become one flesh through intercourse. Are you following what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say is this. Let the word of God be what influences your conviction. Many of you might not need it now. Like, I really don't have any business. I'm trying to chase my career, career woman, career man. I don't have any reason for this. This is, this is just, you will need it though. Maybe not for you, but for that friend, for that sister, for that brother. Amen. I was going to go into a bit of, you know, talk about virginity, purity, and all of that, but maybe for another time. But here's how I want to end this teaching. I want to, I want you to be as wise as serpents. I want you to be wise. I want you to be discerning. The devil knows how intriguing this concept of sex is. And what he does, he's not that brilliant to invent this. God invented sex. But what he does best is he perverts what God invents. He's very good at it. He's very good at twisting God's good gifts to become seemingly attracted good, good thi- attractive good things, but they're just terrible. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to ask you this. I will tell you what God's will is. And I want to ask you how you think the enemy has perverted it. So the first thing I'll say in terms of the strategies of the enemy is, number one, he perverts God's will. When it comes to sex, the, the strategy of the enemy is to pervert God's will. That's number one, or your understanding of God's will. He perverts your understanding of God's will. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what God's will was. I want you to tell me today what you think his strategy is concerning that. Are you ready? So God's will is to have one partner. What, is the, what do you think the devil has perverted that to be? What do you say? Say, come on, say it confidently. Open relationship, polyamorous, multiple partners, basically. God's will is that you be with the opposite sex, the opposite gender. That's Adam and what? Eve. But what has he done? Adam and Steve or Madame and Eve. Right? Basically. No, he's done it so much that it's it's now in our face. And some of you will watch some of those series where they are, you know, criticizing that lesbian in the show. You two are like, if people should stop, Joe, you should love anyone she loves. You two, you're ancient, you have put leg inside. I was guilty of that once, and I've shared this before. But not anymore. See, we need to be sensitive. That's his strategy. Amen. God's will is that sex is private. What is it now? What is the devil's strategy about it? You're supposed to be private with your partner in, you know, in that intimate space. But what is it now? It's on TV. It's in porn. It's in sex clubs. 
You can do it openly now. His idea was for it to be intimate. God's idea was for it to be intimate. What has the devil done with it now? It's casual now. It's just a meaningless fling. And some people do that like, oh, this is just a casual thing. I want nothing to do with you after this. Just one night stand. That's what it is. And then God's will is that it happens maritally. What has the devil done with this? Premaritally or extramaritally. Right? So that's number one. He perverts your understanding of God's will. Number two, he introduces triggers to take you back to past struggles. The Lord gave me a word about two weeks ago. I shared on my story that... A lot of people have experienced such good victory. And some of you know yourselves. You've, you've been free from temptations. You've been free from addictions for a while. The waves are coming again this year. And it will be a proof of how prepared you are against those times. I'm telling you now and I'm saying it again. You've considerably seen victory. You've been doing well. The waves are coming. The waves of temptation are coming. And that's the strategy of the devil. He will just bring things. It be that, just that innocent thing. People are talking about it everywhere. Ah, did you see that uh, video that leaked in that secondary school? And your mind, curiosity, you just go and it triggers something you didn't expect. That happened a lot of times to people. You know that thing that trended last year? You have to be careful. And sometimes the devil knows he cannot get you that way. Ah, there's some people that you've done so well in your devotion, you've built conviction, he cannot get you anymore. Like, you can see something on social media, you're fine. What he will now do, which is number three, is he plants people in your life. Ah, this is for those, especially people that, you know, start to relocate. I've seen this trend. You just put someone in your life. So all your life, you've been a good girl, a good guy. You just bring someone who is willing to give you what you want in that time or what you don't want but think you want. I've seen it happen. And the way it works is similar to what happened with Jesus and Peter. You remember that time when Jesus rebuked Peter? What did Peter say? Jesus was saying that he was going to die. This temple will be destroyed. He's going to come back. He's going to die. He's going to be persecuted. And what did Peter, out of the love of his heart for his master, God forbid that you should die. God forbid that, this, that God in flesh should die. <laughs> and what did Jesus reply? He said, oh, Peter. Oh. He said, get it behind me, Satan. Not even Peter. Get it behind me. Did Peter, is it that devil was disguising as Peter? What was happening there? This guy did not realize that he was being used by the devil to, to tempt someone. Do you, do you realize that? And there are people who knowingly and unknowingly might come into your life not knowing what they are doing. But somehow they were planted. Do, do, do you understand the picture? This is one of his strategies. Number four, and this one I want you to pay attention. This is the last point. And we have uh, Aura McCauley in the house. And they say, hi. Thank you for being with us. I want you to pay attention to this last point. It's very important. One of the devil's strategy is that he keeps you isolated either before or after a fall. It keeps you isolated before or after a fall. For before, this is what I mean. 
when you get to a point where you feel, and I'm basing this on what I've heard and what I've you know, gotten from interactions with people, and people will tell me they didn't feel like they were part of a Christian community. Everybody was doing better than they were. They felt inferior. They just want to do this thing by themselves. And it led to the busy. And there are some people that you've been there, you've been doing well, and then you made that mistake, you fail. And after you're like, I can't come again to, I can't show my face. I can't pray. I can't talk to God. I feel ashamed. I feel like I won't be received. I feel like I don't belong. And when the devil keeps you isolated, oh my goodness. You've heard that saying that when you have a single broomstick, it's easy to break. When you're in a bunch, you can't. Do you understand? There is, there is strength in community, in fellowship. So when he keeps you isolated, you are just the easiest target. That's his strategy. But I'm saying all of this because I want us to do better. Like I said, this is not a teaching of judgment and condemnation. Yes, you've made mistakes. We all have made mistakes. But this is a wake-up call to do better. You cannot believe the lies that they're portraying in the media and that person who is in your life is telling you. You can be pure sexually. You can close those doors that have been opened. You can put up those boundaries again. You can be intentional about your walk of righteousness again. That can be you. We can make it cool and the new thing again to be sexually pure. In this generation of sexual perversion, we can. We can. Do you believe we can? Will you be one of those people? I want to just pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person here who humbly wants to receive the wisdom that you have to offer. Because they know truly you want the best for their relationships. You want them to, to be happy and, and to fulfill purpose in relationship. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray that you give them not just the wisdom, but also the grace to stand strong. Paul said that he labored more abundantly than they all, and it was the grace that was at work in him. While grace affords us our forgiveness, it also gives us the strength to walk in forgiveness. It gives us the strength to walk in righteousness. So Lord, I pray that everyone here listening to me, you receive grace now more than ever before. Fresh grace in the name of Jesus to, to abolish this, the perversion of the enemy and to adopt the will of God for your life. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.